Welcome to the Lessons for Living television program. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. I'd like to invite you back with me to Calvary, and I want to pick up the threads of the greatest story ever told. Jesus died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This was on a Friday. It was in the spring of the year, and consequently, it would be approximately three hours before the sun would go down and the Sabbath would begin. That's the time when it all took place. Now, where did this all occur? Now, in John's Gospel, chapter 19, and in verse 20, we read, Therefore many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. We know that the place of the crucifixion was not far outside of the city walls. You know, I think sometimes we get to thinking, especially when we sing like on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. From the words of that hymn, we get the idea that the cross was a long way out of town, but it wasn't. It was just outside the walls of the city. Apparently, the cross was erected by a road. Why? Well, because in Matthew chapter 27 and in verse 39, we read the following. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads. You see, part of the insult of the crucifixion was the jeering of the travelers who came by and mocked our Lord upon the cross. In other words, the cross was not far outside the city walls, and it was standing right beside the road so that the people that walked along could see him there. Now, where was the tomb located? Well, in John's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 41, look at what it says. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Now, in the Bible, the point of the crucifixion and the place where Jesus was buried were so close that in the Bible they are considered to be the same place. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. Now, the reason why we pay particular attention to that particular verse is sometimes, again, we get the idea that when the body of our Lord was taken down from the cross, that it was taken, you know, a mile or two away to the tomb. But the Bible does not give us that picture at all. It was only a few feet from the place of the cross to the place of the tomb. Now let's talk about the people. We've talked about the time, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and the place by the roadside, and the tomb was nearby. But what about the people? Who was there when he died? Well, the crowd had largely thinned out. In a sense, the excitement was over. They had come to witness a man's suffering, and they had come to watch the crucifixion because of the excitement of it all. But once he was nailed to the cross and the cross was lifted into the air, the people likely disappeared. There were some of Jesus' disciples that were still there. We know that Peter had gone. Certainly Judas had gone. He had hung himself. And so there was only one of the 12 that was still there, and that one was John. 
Now, there were some women who were there, right? Mary Magdalene was there. His mother Mary was there because he spoke to her. And there was another Mary. So it was very possible that we know that John was there, as are these three women, at least. The amazing thing about this is that all, all three women were called Mary. Now, the Roman soldiers were there. And because the excitement had died down and the crowd had separated and thinned out so much, the Roman soldiers felt perfectly free to pick up some dice and do some gambling. They were all relaxed, weren't they? Now, let's talk a little bit more about the people. One of the Roman soldiers, now we don't know which one, but one of them looked up at the Lord Jesus and said, surely this man is the Son of God. Now, what caused this Roman soldier to say this? There is only one thing that we can conclude, and that is that there was something about the marvelous patience of Jesus. You know, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Right? This marvelous love. You see, the average man nailed to a cross would, from the moment he is brought to the cross, would be cursing and cursing and struggling from the very moment the nail hit the wood. But this soldier had never crucified a man like Jesus. Surely this man is the Son of God with such divine patience. And then, when he heard the cry of victory, and it was a cry of victory, it is finished, our Lord cried out. It was a cry of triumph. It was done. The thing that he had come into the world to accomplish and the death that he feared was done. His sudden death, you see, many a time the person dying upon a cross would hang there for a week or two. Sometimes they would die from starvation. Sometimes they would die from dehydration. Sometimes they would die out of sheer madness with, you know, their faces in the sun and the birds pecking at their faces and pecking out their eyes even before they died. But when Jesus died so suddenly... This Roman soldier had never seen anything like that. And so he says, surely this man is the Son of God. We are told that when Jesus died, an unexpected thing took place. There were two wealthy men who stepped forward and identified themselves as disciples of Jesus. One of them, Joseph of Arimathea, that was one, and the other was Nicodemus. Now, there was a problem here. You see, our Lord was dead. And the question now was, what were they going to do about his body? Now, the general practice was that when a man died upon a cross, they would roll his body down into the city dump called Gehenna. In the city dump, his body would be eaten by dogs because the dogs were never fed. Food was too scarce to feed dogs. They would go down and eat the corpses in the city dump and the crows and the vultures would come and pick at the body. And if that didn't work, the maggots would eat it. And if what was left, then the fire would consume. In other words, it was not a very pretty picture. 
But this didn't happen with our Lord's body. What did the disciples want to do with the Lord's body? Well, remember that the disciples were all Galileans. If they owned a cemetery plot, it would be in Galilee. And a cemetery plot like that would be something quite expensive. So what did they do? Well, they certainly couldn't carry his body back to Galilee. So what happened? Well, Joseph of Arimathea came and he went to Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor. Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body of Jesus. Now, why would Joseph of Arimathea do this? Well, interestingly, the Roman law allowed that a relative of a man would be allowed to claim his body. Now, there is an ancient tradition, and I give it to you only as a tradition. But in light of some of the events, it's kind of logical, and that is, it is believed in tradition that Joseph of Arimathea was the uncle of the Virgin Mary. And consequently, as the uncle of the mother of the man who died, he had a right within Roman law to ask for his body. Now, I'm going to turn to my Bible and read to you Matthew chapter 27. And I want you to listen carefully to verses 62 to 64. Now, on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days, I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure and along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. Now, let's talk a little bit about this because there's some interesting things here that we must not miss. Now, the priests and the Pharisees, it said, went to see Pilate. When did they go see, see him? Well, let me ask the question this way. What day follows the day of preparation? Well, the Sabbath day. So what difference does it make? Well, it makes a big difference. No Jew, and certainly not a priest or a Levite, would be caught walking into a Gentile house on any day of the week. No priest would ever cross a Gentile threshold on the Sabbath. They never did that. They certainly never went to a government office on the Sabbath. So what does that mean? Well, there is nothing in the scripture that reveals the anxiety of the priests and the Levites so much as that they would go to see a Roman governor on the Sabbath. It shows how deeply concerned they really were. Well, what was bothering them so much? Well, they went and told what was bothering them. Sir, they said, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days... I am to rise again. And so they asked for a watch. They asked 
for a guard and they got it. The guard was placed there, they said, you know, to prevent violence. And the Roman seal was placed there to prevent fraud because no man dared at the cost of his life to break the Roman seal. Now, they made this amazing request that Jesus be guarded and they misrepresented what was really in their minds. The thing that was in their minds that they were afraid of was that he would rise again. Did they not know that Jesus opened the eyes of a blind man? Did they not know that he had opened the tomb of Lazarus? Well, of course they did. And so they were afraid that he would do the things that he said he would do. So what I want to underscore here is this. The certificate of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus was signed by his enemies. It was not just his friends that said he was dead and he arose. It was his enemies that ultimately said this is what it is. His friends forgot that he would rise the third day, but his enemies remembered. Now, isn't that amazing? His enemies remembered. You see, it's a trick of the mind that people believe what they want to believe or remember what they want to remember. You know, lots of people hear, but they cannot accept. The disciples heard, they could not accept, but his enemies believed and they remembered what his disciples forgot. You see, if we are not sure that Jesus died, then his resurrection is meaningless. But we know that he died. Why? Because so many witnesses were there to that fact. Even his own enemies admitted that he had died. Now, let's just talk for a moment or two about the resurrection. When did it happen? Well, it happened just before the dawn. The sun had not yet risen. And when the resurrection took place, there was an earthquake. There was an earthquake when he died, and there was an earthquake when he arose. The first witness to the resurrection of Jesus were the guards. They were stricken to the ground. They were absolutely helpless, but they saw him rise. All those guards there to keep Christ in, but they didn't. They were only there to witness him coming out. The same man that they had crucified, that they had mocked and derided, the same man that they had made for him a crown of thorns, they watch him now walk out of the tomb. Now the Lord was gone, the tomb was empty, and those armed men staggered out of their tremendous experience in the presence of an angel of God. They were trembling. Let me read to you what the Bible says about that. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 11. Now, while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. See, they came in. They hadn't had time to prepare a lie. They blurted out the truth. We saw this man come out. Now, how do you think these priests felt when these guards came in and told them? They were speechless. speechless. What are we going to do now? Well, the first thing that, that they did, they had to control these guards. So they said to the guards, you have to start lying. It never happened. Remember, it never happened. No, now that was a lie. 
I'm going to read it for you here. Matthew 28, verses, beginning at verse 12. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Now let's just talk about this for a moment because you see how the lie stacks up. Number one, if they were asleep, how do they know who stole the body? Number two, if a Roman guard fell asleep while on guard, they would be killed. Roman soldiers never slept on guard duty. But they were told to deny the whole thing. And they said, now, if this problem comes up with Pilate, we will promise to protect you and get you guys off. What was the effect upon the priests? Oh, they knew that Jesus was alive. And they feared to walk the streets lest they meet him. They had always run from him. They had always feared him. And now they were more afraid, more than ever. Word reached Pilate. He never had peace the rest of his life. He never could forget. Miserable to the very close of his life. The first person to get to the tomb was Mary Magdalene. You ought to remember that she was the last at the cross and the first at the tomb. And she came and she saw the stone had been rolled away and she looked in. How did she feel? She felt terrible. Couldn't they leave him alone? They bothered him every day he was alive. And now, even when he's dead, they won't leave him alone. Is nothing sacred? And there were some more women that, who came and they came with spices and ointments and they were going to anoint him some more on the outer part of the embalming bandages. What were they talking about as they went along? Look at Mark chapter 16, verse 3. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? You see, as they get to the tomb, they realize the stone had already been removed. And an angel is in the tomb, Mark 16, verses 4 through 7. Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Now, look at this interesting point here in John chapter 20, beginning at verse 6. Then Simon Peter came following him and went inside the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the cloth that was around his head was lying with the linen cloths, but wrapped in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. What does it say? It says they went into the tomb and here are all of the bandages, even the napkin. Now, if the Lord Jesus' body had been stolen as an act of violence, wouldn't they have, why would they have taken off the bandages? 
they would have never bothered to remove the bandages if it had been an act of violence. They would have gone up, picked him up, linen and all, and taken him out. But they didn't. When Peter and John went into the, to the tomb, all of the linen bandages were there in one place. And that napkin that covered his face was folded and placed in another place that they could very clearly see that this was no act of violence, that the Lord had in fact risen. One more, last one. Mark 16, verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now just look at that one. It says, go tell his disciples and Peter. Go and tell Peter that I still love him. I heard him deny me. I told him he would before the cock would crow. He is the man that had denied the Lord three times, cursing. He is the man that wept bitterly. Go tell Peter. Tell him that I spoke about him. Tell Peter that he is still mine. I still love him. Tell him I haven't rejected him. Tell him everything is forgiven. Go and tell Peter. Can you see? Here is our Lord loving a man that did a terrible thing. What Peter did was almost as bad as what Judas did. But tell him I love him. What a savior we have. There's not a single problem in my life and your life, right? Either in our behavior, our inherited tendencies, our cultivated tendencies to evil. There is nothing that our Lord cannot give us victory over. And one day... One day, he will even give us victory over death. Think of that. Nothing exists that he doesn't have a solution for. Satan could not hold him in his grasp. The son of God, death could not hold the son of God. And death cannot hold those that believe in the son of God. Death is a defeated foe. None of us have anything to fear because Jesus is the mighty conqueror. All the powers of hell could not keep him in the tomb and all the powers of hell cannot keep in the tomb that soul that believes in Jesus because he lives. One day, we too shall live. Let us pray. Gracious God, loving Heavenly Father, thank you for the power of the resurrection. Paul tells us if Christ had not resurrected, our faith would be in vain. Thank you for what Jesus did on the cross. Thank you for the resurrection that gives us the opportunity to one day live again through what Jesus has done for us. Bless each and every viewer, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to that time in our program where we have our special offer. On every broadcast, we like to make a resource available to you, our viewer, just to help you in your spiritual journey. And today we're doing something a little bit different. I have here a, a few resources we're going to share with you. I have, first of all, these little tracks from Signs of the Times. 
and uh, let me see if I can put them up here. Uh, we're gonna send you multiples of these and I'm gonna ask you to read them, their little track, and distribute them to your friends and family. And we'd also love to send you this copy of Vibrant Life Magazine. Uh, these gifts are made possible through the generosity of our donors. These gifts will arrive at your home postage paid. There's no obligation whatsoever on your part. You're never going to receive an invoice for any of these. So, if you'd like to receive these tracks and this magazine, pay close attention to the information we're about to give you. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. That's Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. If you wish, you could order this offer by calling our 1-800 number at 1-800-972-0337. 1-800-972-0337. Well, we've come to the end of another Lessons for Living television program. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, before we go, I'm going to just remind you of a couple of things. One is our website. Be sure to visit our website at l4ltv.com. On the website, all of our previous programs are accessible. Uh, I have some archived messages there that you can watch and study on different topics that might be of interest to you, like who or what is the mark of the beast? Why do bad things happen to good people? What happens to us when we die? There's also a live appearances tab that will tell you where I'll be appearing live and a donate today tab where you, if you feel so impressed to do so, can send a donation in. We are a charitable organization, so you will get a receipt for income tax purposes. All of the money donated goes straight back into the ministry to pay for airtime, studio time, the gifts we send out. Uh, not a penny of that comes to me or my family in terms of salary or any types of benefits. It's all reinvested right back into uh, the ministry. Also, follow me on Instagram every morning, 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time. I put out a one-minute devotional video. It's a great way to start your day. Like our Facebook page. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow me on Twitter. Download our audio version of our program on SoundCloud. Different ways that in between broadcasts, we can remain connected. And you can use those various vehicles to help spread the gospel to your friends and family. Before we go, I want to make reference to one more website we have. It is called the missionnowcanada.com website. That is the overseas humanitarian work that we do. Check that out. Maybe you will want to join us on an upcoming mission trip. Well, they're giving me a sign that says we're all out of time, but we could not come to the end of this program without wishing every single one of you a very blessed Easter Sunday. From all of us at Lessons for Living Television to you and your loved ones, have a wonderful Easter Sunday. Hey, take some time today to do two things. Reflect on what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection and what that means for you and I, and what that means for our eternity. But take this time also to reach out to a loved one. Tell them how much you care about them, 
how much you love them. Let's take this opportunity now to put all of our grudges and problems behind us, okay? Make the best of your Easter Sunday. We hope to be back again next time. I hope you'll join us. Until then, God bless you. We'll see you back soon.